Thank you so much for joining us today for our LifePoint podcast. At LifePoint, we believe everyone's welcome, nobody's perfect, and with God, anything's possible. Hope you enjoy. Well, good morning, everybody. How are you today? Yeah. I'm just happy to see the sunshine, y'all. Can I get an amen on that? Yeah, so glad you're here. Happy Mother's Day. If you're a mom in this place today, man, we want to honor you today. I know there's been a lot said already to you, but... Uh, we love you so much, and uh, hopefully you eat some snacks on your way out the door, get a little gift, take some pictures with your family. Some of you, this is the only time you get your family here, so, you know, make it count. You know, maybe uh, give them snacks that make them want to come back. You know, I don't know what happens, but uh, we're so glad you're here. Uh, my name is Danny Rivers, and I'm one of the pastors around here at LifePoint, and we're just so, so glad that you're here. If you're a guest with us today, man, thank you uh, for joining us. We're in a series uh, called Chainbreaker. We started this on Easter Sunday our Easter weekend, rather. We had Friday and Saturday and Sunday that weekend, but uh, we just want to say um, welcome, and uh, we, we welcome you to the series. What we're doing in this series is we're just talking about the fact that because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross and, and through the resurrection, um, that we can live in and know freedom in our lives from all of the things that would try to bind us or to, to enslave us or to uh, chain us up. The Bible says that the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, that if we're a believer, that that spirit lives uh, inside of us. And so we can know freedom. We can live in it. Because here's what Jesus said about himself. And he's quoting from the prophet Isaiah. But here's what he says in Luke 4. He says in verse 18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, um, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, and that the oppressed will be set free. That's true, and, and we want to just say at LifePoint, I don't know what your background is, but here at our church, we fundamentally, fundamentally for all my English-speaking friends, fundamentally believe all right, that wherever Jesus is, wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, there is liberty, freedom from the past, freedom from doubt, and freedom from debt, which we talked about last week. I hope you uh, were here. If you missed that, go check it out online at www. Dot, I don't, nobody says www dot anymore. LifePointSA.com. <laughs> Still trying to figure this whole thing out, you know. Uh, anyways, check it out. Anyways, T today is Mother's Day, obviously. And while I'm not going to be doing a mother's specific message, I saved this topic for this day simply because for the last 11 years that this church has been in existence and through the conversations that I've had with my wife, and who's the mother of our girls, and through many other moms doing research for Mother's Day messages in the past, there were topics that would pop up over and over again. And consistently, one of the ideas was that moms, um, because of life, because of the pressures of life, because of the expectations, particularly now that social media is such a big deal, that they would, would experience and live with some guilt and even some shame for how they perceive that they're doing in life and with their health and, 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 and all of the various things that go along. I remember uh, reading an interview with a mom who, who was recalling a time um, where the pressure was mounting, the expectations were overwhelming her, and she was raising little ones, and she said that one day she just exploded because of the pressure and just exploded at her kids and and, and, and said some words that she knew she couldn't get back and said some hurtful words and said some words that she, can I get an amen? She didn't want her kids to even know yet, you know what I'm saying? Like, they're going to find that out later, but not from me. And she said, and this is what she said, uh, she felt so ashamed, and she said, sometimes 
I just get sick of it all. This is her quote. My body, my kids, my house, my entire life. She said, I have these pictures in my head of what I want everything to look like. And it's never that perfect. And I just can't ever put it all to get, pull it all together all at the same time. On top of that, I feel so ashamed when I take it out on my kids. I think if you're a parent in the room, whether you're a mom or a dad or whatever, um, you know that, you know that feeling. That there's just uh, pain that's sort of resonant in those statements. And so today, we're going to talk about the chain of shame and of guilt and, and of condemnation. Now, Shame is not just a mother's emotion or an experience because everybody in this room today has experienced some kind of shame in your life. You, you've been ashamed of something, something that's happened to you or something that you've done that you hope no one ever finds out about. And, and we've all experienced shame. It's, it's a universal emotion. And, and sometimes it's so potent, it's visceral. It's, 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 it, you feel it at a gut level. I, I think all of us... Um, know the painful wave of emotions that, that wash over us when we feel judged or ridiculed about uh, the way that we look or the house that we live in now or the car that we drive or the job that we have or, or our parenting or, or how we handle money. Um, we, we grew up, uh, the, the, way the, the way that we grew up, the family, the home that we grew up in or, or even the life experiences over which we had no control. The shame, I, I found, begins... Uh, in the earliest ages of elementary school, right off the bat, there's some kid, there's a group of kids, there's somebody, there's a teacher um, that, that, that says something. And, and, and as adults, often the shame comes via our parenting or our relationships that we said something to somebody that we shouldn't have. We said something to our kids that we wish we could get back. And we overreacted, we yelled, we shamed, we threatened. And we, we allowed ourselves to run too low um, emotionally or physically. And we did or said something that, man... We're ashamed of. I saw a young, uh, a young father yesterday, clearly stressed out, just putting his finger right in the face of his little five, six-year-old boy and just giving him the business right in front of everybody. And I was thinking, man, I, I felt that way before, but I, I wish you wouldn't do that. He's going to be in therapy. It's going to cost you a lot of money later on, you know. I'm just kidding. I'm not trying to make fun of that. But we, we've all had moments like that. And, 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 and as soon as that happens, the, the, the voice of shame, the enemy coming through, the voice of shame condemning us. Look at you. Look at you. Look what you did. Look what you said. Look what a failure you are. What a, what a jerk you are. How mean you are. What a, what a loser. Whatever, whatever the words are that you hear inside your own heart and your own mind. And, and it's not always, frankly, somebody else that's putting that on us or judging us. I, I would argue that in my own life, the most painful um, experiences are often self-inflicted ones. That, that there is no punishment that is so painful as the self-inflicted kind. Um, you know, it's been said that that some people say, well, nobody's harder on me than I am myself, and that's true for me. And, 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 it's, and it's, it's relentless because the voice of shame in our heads doesn't ever stop because it follows us. We can't walk away because it follows us wherever we go. And until we allow the, the chain breaker, Jesus, to break the chains of shame in our lives. And so what we do is oftentimes we label ourselves like I'm, 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 I'm angry and I'm, I'm, fr I'm a frustrated person or I'm a, I'm a screamer or I'm a stuffer. Or I'm just like my mom, I'm just like my dad, I'm a wreck, I'm, a, I'm unglued, I'm a people pleaser, whatever it is. The labels, though, what they do is they start out as little threads of self-dissatisfaction. But over time, as we allow them access to our mind and we allow that voice to speak into our mind, it becomes this sort of straight jacket of, of, of self-condemnation until shame for many of us in this room today is a kind of prison. 
Now, it may be dominant in your life or it may be just a background noise in your life, but it's there for a lot of us. It's a prison that you feel that you deserve to be in because something you feel like is wrong with you. Shame is this feeling of being exposed that, that I'm trying to hide this thing from my life, but, but I feel like everybody knows it, and so you want to hide or, or you want to die. H- Hazel Fellerman wrote a poem about this. She said, I-, I wish there were some wonderful place called the land of beginning again where all our mistakes and all our heartaches and all our selfish griefs could be cast like a shabby old coat at the door and never be put on again. Oh, for such a place. Now, just to be clear here, shame and low self-esteem aren't the same thing. Marion Mankin says it like this so well. She says, when I think about my self-esteem, I think about who I am in relation to who I want to be, where I come from, what I've overcome, what I've accomplished. But when when I feel shame, she says, I'm taken back to this place of smallness where I I lose that sense of context. I'm returned to a small place. I can't see everything else that's good in my life. It's just a small, lonely place. And this is the thing about shame, is that shame always minimizes who you are, the good that you've done, the great things that you've accomplished. It tries to shrink you down to size. And the enemy uses shame because what he does is he will magnify whatever is causing shame. And at the very same time, he will minimize your value, your worth, your accomplishments. But furthermore, he will minimize God's power and grace in your life to help you break through. That's how he works. And I think that the only way to break that chain is to bring it out into the light of day and expose it to the grace of God, which is what I want to talk to you about today. We know from scriptures that we are not meant to live our lives in shame. If you think back to the the creation story, all the way back to the very beginning in the book of Genesis, um, the, the, the high point of God's creation in that story is not just, hey, there's beautiful trees and there's crazy looking giraffes and fish. It's not even, and there was no sin, although that was true. Genesis 2 25 says that the high point of creation was the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Now, I want to tell you what's implicit in that statement because what you're thinking is they were like, hey, we're naked and it's woohoo, it's awesome, right? My wife and I were on vacation uh, last week or the week before and and we went to this beach because they said there was a beautiful sunset there and when we walked in there, we didn't realize that this was that kind of beach. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> The naked people beach, and they were supposed to have been gone, apparently, but some of them were still there, and they felt no shame, but we felt shame for them. Come on, y'all. Like, dear God, put all that away. You know what I'm saying? It was awful. They felt no shame. That's not what this text is saying. It's not like those old people over there that were hanging around, you know, all natural. That's what they called it. It's, no, it, it's naked. That's how we say it in the South. They were just flat out naked. Anyways, I got a point here somehow, you know what I'm saying? They felt no shame. Here's what's implicit in that statement. It's a statement about human identity. It's a statement about relationship. It's it's, it's a statement that says they, they had perfect trust with one another and with God, which meant that they had absolute clarity about who they were. They had absolute confidence that they were sons and daughters of God, and, 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 and God was well-pleased with them, that God loved them. Can, can you imagine a day, those of you 
who've grown up with legalistic religion. Can, can you imagine a day where it feels like you can just believe that with all of your heart, that you can have full and utter confidence, no shame, no hiding, no fear, no, I think God's probably disappointed me for the thousandth time. Just, I am the beloved of God. That's what Adam and Eve were experiencing. That's what this statement means. And we know from the story that into that perfection steps the enemy to create distance between us and between God. And Adam and Eve had had this perfect relationship with God. And then chapter 3, we see what happens when they send. Verse 9, but the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid. Now, the Bible tells us that Adam and Eve had this incredible relationship with God that nobody else has ever had. That when God would come in the evening and, and he would walk amongst them and they would have fellowship and they would do life together. And always before, um, they, they, had, they had looked forward to this moment, but because of their guilt, the voice doesn't sound the same. The voice sounded warm and, and comforting, the voice of wisdom, the voice of a father, the voice of a, of a friend. But this time, because of their shame, only because of their shame, his voice sounds different to them. It sounds like a voice of judgment, a voice calling to condemn, even though God has not changed his position and his posture towards them. But because of guilt and shame, they hide. Shame has made him, them fear or hear his voice differently. Instead of conviction, they hear condemnation so they hid from God. And, it, and in this breakdown of our relationship with God, it leads to moments of shame where our identity and our worth and our security in God is lost. Not because he's changed towards us, but because we look at him differently. Our clarity about who we are, about whose we are, is lost. And one day they were naked and they had no shame. And the next moment they're hiding from God, trying to cover themselves up with fig leaves. Why? Because now guilt and shame and and condemnation are very much a part of their story, and as a result, ours. But when, when we mess up, the enemy uses shame to drive us away from the very place we need to run towards. People will stop coming to church because of shame. People will stop coming to God because of shame. People will run from the people of God because of shame. And here's one of those spiritual tensions that we need to learn how to manage. See, the enemy uses shame and, and condemnation when we make a mistake or, or when people have harmed us in some way. He, he uses a, a shame to, to, to isolate us. But God has a tool of his own when we mess up, and it's called conviction. The enemy's is condemnation. The, the spirits of, a spirit of God's is conviction. In fact, I would argue that one of God's greatest gifts towards us, for, for those of us who, who would call ourselves Jesus followers, it, God, it, it's conviction. God uses conviction to show us something in our lives that might need a change. But he doesn't leave us hanging there like just going, hey, moron, loser, you failed. No, no, he comes alongside of us. He gets involved and he helps us change it. The problem is, is that most believers never mature enough in their faith to distinguish between the, 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 the difference between conviction and condemnation. Condemnation's greatest talent is imitation. Conviction is the work of the Holy Spirit. Condemnation is the enemy's best impersonation of the Holy Spirit's work. And so the enemy becomes adept at trying to sound like the Holy Spirit, and he heaps condemnation upon us. So, so here's how you can tell the difference. Shame will drive you away from God. Conviction will always drive you towards God. One causes you to run and hide from God. The other causes you to want to run into the arms of God for safety and protection and healing. 
Because here's the kind of God that's in this place today. Even in the Garden of Eden, God hatches a rescue plan. You can read about it right in the text. He already had in mind a rescue mission in the Garden to break chains, to set people free, same as he does today. That God wants to bring us home to himself. That he wants us to reconnect to our purposes, uh, the purposes of God. And he wants to give us back everything in life that the enemy has taken from you. And we see this in the garden, and we see it today, that it's God saying, you can live free from guilt and from shame because here's the word of the Lord, Romans 8 and 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for them, for those who are in Christ Jesus. You know what that means is that if you're feeling condemned or if you're having shame in your life about something or guilt or whatever, that's not from God, Right? That's not from God. Guilt and shame do not have to be part of your story one more day. The enemy, and this is why you need to know about, you need to know this, the enemy will try to take what is glorious and ruin it, but God will take what is ruined and turn it into something glorious. Amen, somebody? So, so that if we've made mistakes, so that if we've sinned, so that if we've failed or if we've had terrible things done to us, the Bible says in, in 1 John chapter 2 that we have an advocate, advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteousness, righteous. 1 John 1 and 9 says that, that if we confess our sins, that Jesus is faithful and just and will forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. The thing about it is, is you can't undo the past. What are we supposed to do? Just let it define us from now on? You, you, you can't unsin. You can only repent. And every time you do, you find that God, God's not the kind of God that leverages our sins against us like the enemy does. His kindness, Romans 2 says, is what leads us to repentance. He leverages grace against our sin to bring us to deeper dependency upon him. But I want to dig down here for just a minute because this this is so important that I understand this, that you understand this. Because you need to know that if you're living in shame or guilt chronically, that this is one of the greatest tactics our spiritual enemy uses uh, against us. It's in his very nature. As a matter of fact, in the, the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, the apostle John gives an eyewitness account to this sort of epic battle between good and evil. And in chapter 12 of that book of Revelation, he calls Satan by a name that's not used anywhere else in the Bible. He calls him the accuser. P packed tightly into that one word title is a revelation of, I think, the most devastating game that the enemy plays with the hearts of God's people. Satan's main job isn't just temptation, it's accusation after the temptation. He's not just tempting us to do something, it's just that once we do it, or once it's been done to us, convincing us that we are whatever happened to us, or we are whatever we did, that he will use that to suffocate the spiritual life right out of you. The, the, the thing to remember, though, is that the enemy, if he's talking to you in your life, right, if he's talking to you, he's lying. The Bible says that, the, that Satan's native tongue is lie. He's a liar. But there's a little nuance in this, though, that you need to understand, that I need to understand, that he'll use partial truths to accuse you. He'll remind you of an actual event 
or an actual failure that's part of your story or part of mine and start telling you as a result, you're nothing, you're worthless, you're not good enough. What you did is who you are, that God is ashamed of you, that God is finished with you, that the truth is, is that you and I have done things. I have done things that are shameful in my life. This is true, but that's not the end of the story, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But you cannot, listen to me, you cannot allow the enemy's work in your life, moms, dads, everybody, you cannot allow it to continue. There must be an encounter with the chain breaker because shame, here's the thing about shame. It's not just an emotion. Shame will silence the good that you might do in your life. Listen, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 that God has ordained or he's, he's declared, he's written your story. And part of that story is that you're going to be doing some good things. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. He says that he's, long before you were born, he scripted out your life and, and he, he had good things for you to do. But shame will stop you from doing the good things because it will relegate you to a life in the margins where you can't speak out. You can't speak up. I've seen shame take pastors and leaders and, and good men and women who were powerful and effective and minimize them to silence. It takes away their sense of self, their identity. It, it steals their, their moral authority because of some past mistake, some past accusation. And I would argue that this is one of the, the, the enemy's key weapons to silence good people who have so much to bring to the table in this life. Because shamed people often lose their voice. This is why so many people in our culture today, using social media and the media, use shame as a weapon in our world today. They'll go back into people's stories. They'll go back from when they, they were in high school or middle school and something they said or something they wrote, and they will use it to shame them and thus silence them. And this is precisely why our enemy uses this tactic to enslave us. All of this comes from the enemy. When we've made a mistake, even a devastating one, his goal is to convince us that we're too far gone. And so he heaps condemnation upon us and he, he heaps baggage on us from our earliest memories. I want you to think about your earliest memories. Some of you can remember kindergarten or first or second grade when something happened to you and somebody said something to you. You, you, you have fr little friends who start saying hurtful things to you. You have bullies at school who say stuff to you. And then you have too tired or too stressed out parents and teachers and, and, and adults whose words cut like knives into our little souls. To, to our best friends that we thought would be our best friend forever and we find out later betrayed us. Every time that happens, we pick up a bag. Every time we pick up a bag and it's a bag that says under, underneath all of it that we're not loved, that we're not good, that we've been forgotten and, and we're damaged and shame settles in and we carry what happened to us as little kids or as teenagers into our young adulthood and eventually, eventually into our, our families and into our marriages and we carry the same old hurts and bitterness, so many of us, from year to year to year, from life stage to life stage. And you know what we do with it ultimately? We end up dumping, dumping it out on the people who love us the most. This is what we do, and now they have bags, and now they have to carry that around. Do you see why this is such a big deal? Some of you know I'm saying this because your mom or your dad dumped all that stuff on you. They've been carrying about because somebody dumped it on them. That's what happens. It becomes this family cycle. 
So, so, so if the enemy comes to you, which he does, and says, oh, oh, you're going to put your faith in Jesus, and you're going to become a Christian, and you're going to go to heaven, he, he, he's going to still come at you, no matter what you've done. You, you would think, okay, well, that's going to stop now, because he knows I'm going to heaven, but that's not what happens at all. He might say, hey, you might still go to heaven when you die, but I want to try to make your life a living hell right here on this earth. I want to silence you. I want to weigh you down with so much baggage and so much shame and so much pain that you'll never step into what God has uh, for your life. And the way I'm going to do that is I'm going to book you on an amazing cruise, and we're going to go on a guilt trip. Y'all with me on that? Me and you. And some of you have already been on that boat for 20 or 30 years, even though the bell of freedom has already rang for you on Calvary's Hill way back in the day. But the enemy never quits and he is relentless, and he will wait you out, and he will try to talk you down, and, and he remembers everything, and he'll bring it to the, all the details back to your life. He will try to convince you that if you, if you just sort of keep it in somehow, it'll go away, but it will not. If, if you just press it down, if you just stuff it down, uh, oh, and, and, and party hard enough, you can forget about it, but you know better than that now. You cannot. The only way that you and I can walk free is to step into the light of God Almighty and say, hey, God, I've done some stuff in my life and I've had some stuff done to me that, frankly, I'm ashamed of. And, and, and I know the enemy is trying to talk to me that I'm irrevocably damaged in life. Yet when I look at the cross of Jesus and I hear him say, it is finished, I can realize that was for me. All of my sin and all of my shame is paid for. All of my guilt was nailed to his cross. I'm getting off that boat today, that cruise. I don't care how awesome it felt for the first few moments. You don't, you don't even have to wait till they pull into port to get off that bad boy. You can jump out into the ocean of God's grace and let the current of God's blessing take you all the way home because God wants to book you on a different trip, and it's a, drip, it's a trip to the cross where freedom is found. Amen, somebody. When the enemy comes talking to you, you can ignore him. Or you can rebuke him. Yesterday I was watching my little dog. I got a little dog named Carson. He's about 11 years old. And he is the weakest dog in America. <laughs> He's the most timid dog in the whole world. And he was out in the backyard and I heard something chat, you know, chattering at him. And I went back there and I was looking out the window and there was a squirrel in the tree above him and it had his tail over him trying to look big and, and tough and he's just yelling at my little dog. And it was so funny because my little dog, like if it was the tiniest little chihuahua, he would roll over in his back and he'd be like, take, you know, do whatever you got to do. But like this, this squirrel was chattering at him up from the tree and, and Carson could care less about what that, ch that squirrel was chattering about. He was just looking in the window like, hey dude, when's it going to be time for me to come back in? Like, I want to get whacked where, and, and, and I, I'm not trying to say this, but my dog likes me better than everybody else. He follows me around, and all he's like, dude, i got to get back where you are, bro. Can we just wrap this up? And even though the, the chatterbox, that squirrel was yelling at him about what he was going to do to him in squirrel language, he, he was completely ignoring him. And this is, by the way, it's a funny story, but this is what we got to do. We got to be so focused on what's next and what God has for us. Hey, God, I want to be where you are. I know there's an enemy saying, I failed, I fell short, I did all this bad stuff. But listen, I want to be just wherever you are. Because in your presence, there's fullness of joy. In your presence, there's freedom. In your presence, you break the chains. See, grace cancels guilt and shame. But it does so much more than that. Grace not only cancels guilt, it redefines me. It redefines you. Grace redefines us from, from failure to family, part of, part of the family of God. 
So, so maybe the enemy has put a, a scarlet letter on your life, a big old F, which stands for failure. And maybe it wasn't even your failure. Maybe it was somebody else's failure that they sort of just exported onto your life by what they did to you. And, and you've been taken on that failure and you've let it define you. Uh, but God says, hey, listen to me. I want to change that story. I want to change that narrative today. And I want to turn that from failure to family. And I want you to know that you are a son of God or, and you are a daughter of the Almighty God, that you I have written you in my will, and you have a seat at the table with God Almighty himself. That's what the Bible says. And there are some of you who would say, you know what, Danny? Man, that's good. I, I agree with that. I, I do agree that God's paid the price. I do agree that his grace cancels my guilt. I, I believe all of that, that he forgives. But you'd be quick to add, but Danny, I cannot forgive myself. And can I tell you something about that statement? That's the talk of the enemy. That's the plan of the enemy. That's a message handcrafted for, by the enemy for you because let's think about that just for a second. Let's just do a little forensic on, forensics on that statement for a minute. You never could forgive yourself. You've never had the power to forgive yourself. Well, no, no, no. I'm just trying to get to the point where I can move on, where I can, where I can forgive myself. Uh, let, me, let, me just, let me just make it plain. You, were never, you have never been in a position to forgive yourself because into that gap, God stepped into position to do what only he could do, which was to forgive you. And I know you think, well, no, no, you're just kind of messing with the words up there a little bit, but that's not it at all. When I say I can't forgive myself, do you know what I'm saying? That, that's a kind of arrogance. That's a kind of pride. That's a kind of self-righteousness. It's me saying, hey, Jesus, when you paid the price in full for my freedom, it wasn't good enough. And it will only be good enough when I say it's good enough. Do, do, do you think there's something you can do to make yourself worthy? Do, do you think there's some way, some method that you can go back and make the past all right? Some, some approach that you can take to erase the shame and to feel worthy? Well, the answer was yesterday, today, and in the future, no, you cannot. And some of us are still trying to fix what we did and make it right with God by working harder. That's called religion, and it doesn't work. Listen, I live my whole life like that. That's, it doesn't work. Only a real relationship with God will set things right because the self-improvement program hasn't worked for you yet. And at some point, you just have to rest in the fact that Jesus paid it all and all to him I owe, that sin had left a crimson stain, but he has washed it white as snow, that you are the beloved of God who loves you, who has given you the identity already that you're working so hard to gain, that he is utterly forgiven the Bible says, and utterly forgotten every wrong that you've ever repented of. Listen to me, because to the extent that you understand how great the Father's love for you is, that how, how great his mercy is, the depth and the breadth of his favor towards you, that's the extent of the freedom that you're going to walk in and live in from the past that many of you are still unnecessarily dragging around with you. Let it go. Let God do what he already has done. Receive what's been done on your behalf. You know, we simply need to humble ourselves under the finished work of Jesus Christ and say the most powerful, I think maybe some, for some of us today, the most powerful praise you could say today is just simply, hey God, I agree with you. Matter of fact, can we say that? God, I agree with you. Say that with me. God, I agree with you. Like, if you say I'm a, I'm a loved daughter, I say I'm a loved daughter. If God, you say I'm forgiven and free, I say I'm forgiven and free. If you say that Jesus bore the shame, I say 
I will never bear one moment more what my Savior has already borne on my behalf. If you say I can go forward, then I say I can go forward. I'm going to stop agreeing with, agreeing with me, and I'm going to start agreeing with God. I agree that he took it all and put it on the cross, and I don't have to carry this anymore. The world behind me, the cross before me, I choose to follow Jesus. Now, if you've made a mistake, no matter what it is, if you've come into this place today, Mom, feeling guilt or shame because you're not the perfect mom, listen, you're just as perfect as your kids need to be. Like, was your mom perfect? No. If she's standing right beside you, you go, yeah, yeah, frankly. <laughs> you totally were in every possible way. And then kind of go to the side. <laughs> I'm saying. And yet you're here. You're in this space today. Are you without flaws? Are you out, are, 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 do you have no scars? No. But you're here today. If you've made a mistake, you simply turn from that. That's what, that's what repentance gets a negative rap, but that's what it means. I'm walking this way. I'm walking my own way. I'm doing life my own way. But along the way, I've picked up pain and baggage and hurt and shame and grief and guilt. And you know what I do with that? I just simply turn. That's what repentance means. I turn and I start going God's way. I was going this way, but there was loneliness there. There was brokenness there. And I just turn. It's a doorway repentance is by which God comes to us through grace to do what we could never do on our, for ourselves. I don't have to live in shame. You do not have to sit, listen to me now, on the back row of life. You do not have to live in the shadows because of something that was done to you back in the day or something that you did. You do not have to live under all of the layers that Jordan was talking about. You don't have to protect and build walls. You don't have to sit back so that other more perfect people can lead and do things and make a difference in this world. Jesus paid it all. That's the truth. 2 Corinthians 5, I love this text, and I just want to give it to you. I'm almost done, obviously, or at least you're hoping. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, God made him, talking about Jesus, who had no sin, who knew no sin, to be sin for us so that in him and Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. Do you know what that means? That in, in, in the ledger book that has my life story in it, all of my hurts and all of my shame and all of my pain and all of my sins, all of my brokenness on the cross was taken and dumped out on Jesus. And in exchange, I don't just get a blank slate. I get the righteousness of Jesus Christ put into my account so that when God looks at my life he doesn't see my pain he doesn't see my failure he doesn't see my shame he doesn't see my sins he sees the righteousness of Jesus that's what this text means so I don't have to be perfect because I can't I don't have to do it all right because it's impossible but because somebody else did for me I can live in and I can walk in that because all of my debts were paid by the finished work of Jesus. There had to be a legal transaction. There had to be something that would stand up in the court of heaven's, uh, of heaven's court under the scrutiny of the justice and the holiness that, that God's righteousness requires. And that's why Jesus was the only one who could come 
and bear the guilt and bear the shame. And, and, and therefore, God could say to me, you are debt free. You are guilt free. You are forgiven. You may walk free. You can live free. You can enter into a brand new life. The enemy might have a word in your life, but he did not. He does not have the final word. The last word is, I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I was dead in my sins, the Bible says, but now I'm alive in Christ. I was a slave, and now I'm free because of Jesus. And I'm here to say to somebody, listen to me. You don't have to live your life in shame or guilt because of the past. It's been paid for. Yeah, but, yeah, but I need, what, what I did was, yeah, yeah, it's been paid for. Like if you have the power to go and apologize or to go and ask for forgiveness, you absolutely should do that. You, you 100% should do that. If you can make it right, you do it. But you don't, you don't have the responsibility to do that in God's eyes you, in, in terms of your righteousness, in terms of what God has done for you. You have the responsibility to do what you can, but ultimately you have to get up and you have to move forward in your life. Can I get a good amen, somebody? I want to pray for somebody that when the enemy says shame on you, you have to know that God comes right behind him and says, no, shame off of you. That's how he works. And God wants to do that for somebody in this place today. Lord Jesus, in this place today, God, the enemy has spoken to people's lives. And some of us have never even thought about the fact that we have a spiritual enemy. Some of us have never even heard that before. But it's true. We're in a place today where, 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 where truth is spoken, Lord. Not because I'm saying it, because your word says it. God, that there's an enemy that wants to disrupt us and destroy us and, 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 and put us down and, and label us and libel us. But Lord, you've come to speak a better word, that whom the Son sets free is free indeed, that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And so today, Lord Jesus, for every person who's walked in here under a heavy load of anxiousness or fear or dread or shame or guilt or condemnation, you've come take it off of them. And Lord Jesus, if we would just say, I agree with you, Lord, that if you say, if you say that I have freedom, then I have freedom. If you say that I can move forward, I can move forward. God, I agree with you. If you say shame has to go, then it has to go. That if fear has to bow, then God, I agree that fear has to bow in your presence. So, Lord Jesus, let the Spirit of God rise up in this place. God, break down the walls. Crash through the doors. Do great things in our hearts and lives, I pray in Jesus' name. Lord, God, if there's some of us in this room today who have never bowed the knee to you, who have never given our hearts to you, today we can do that. Lord Jesus, we can just pray something like this. Jesus, I surrender all to you. God, I've been walking my own way. I've been doing my own thing. And, Lord, I feel, I feel like it's not working. But today, I turn, I turn towards you. I ask you to be my Lord, my Savior, the forgiver of my sins, to, to walk with me, to talk to me, oh God, to lead me, to guide me, to speak a better word into my life than the voice of the enemy. Come live in my heart, Jesus. I follow you today. I choose you today in Jesus' name. And life one, I wonder if we could just give the Lord a big old hand. Hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If this ministry has impacted you in any way and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, please visit lifepointsa.com slash give to make a donation. We hope you have a great rest of your week and we hope to see you soon at one of our Sunday worship experiences. God bless.